Man, we're excited about what God's doing. We, we, are, we are excited about what God's doing in our lives. Because, see, God's changing us. We're not the same people that we used to be. Come on now. Are you growing? Uh, are, you know, I already know the answers. I know you are. I, I, I know you're growing. I, I, I know you're accepting challenges. I, I know, I know you're, you're getting, you know, more and more passionate about going after the purpose of God in your life. And the cool thing is, is that, see, God loves us right where we are. But he just loves us too much to leave us here. See, there was, a, there was a time, there was a time that we were so disconnected from God. I mean, we didn't have any hope. You realize that I don't care how much cash you got and how many friends you've got and how much possession you have. If, if you are totally disconnected from God, your future is not looking good. You know, I, some of us, you know, some people in the room and just look straight forward. Don't look at the guy next to you because he might shank you or something. But, uh, you know, some of these guys, you know, they had to go to prison to find God. Some of us had to deal with insane tragedy and, and loss. You know, uh, uh, the death of a loved one or a really close friend or a financial devastation or, or you know, something that was really traumatic. And, and lots of people have been through all kinds of stuff. Uh, where, where I found my insane need for God was in church. It was the same thing as going to prison. Yeah. But we, we've, all, we've all had this moment, you know, all of us who have come to God, we've all had this moment where we got connected Aren't you glad? You know, I, I love church. I've been in church my, my, my whole life, and I, I realize there's great weaknesses in it. it sometimes, you know, we, we look at that like it's a big ne negative, but I love church. I love, I love family life. You know, last night was home plate. So we, by the way, we're celebrating six years this weekend, right? Happy anniversary. Can you believe that, Tammy? It's so cool to have Tammy with us today celebrating. Tammy's got a friend. But... um. I'm it. I'm your friend. Uh, uh, you know, uh, what was I talking about? Huh? Finding God in church. Finding God. Home plate. Home plate. Last night, you know, 375 people at our house. And all of them want a biscuit. You know, and, uh, uh, man, just, I like this. You know, I, I, you know, I like church. And I, I realize we got our stuff, but, but you know, it's not, it's not about church. It's about God, you know, and, and, and God getting to moving and flowing in your life. I don't know where you are today, but if you're, if you're isolated from God, it's too easy to live connected to God. I mean, it's too easy. I, I, I don't get it. I, you know, why, why anybody would want to live disconnected from God? The only reason is because they're that stupid. We're not talking about people who are here. Come on, let's make a tape and mail it to somebody we know. You're stupid. <laughs> I mean, to live without God. God hath reconciled us to himself through his son, Jesus. And then he's given to us, the Bible says, the ministry of reconciliation. We have, the, we have the privilege of drawing people who are at war with God to a place where they're at peace with God. Making a connection with God is so awesome that, that God reached out into your situation and into your life and, and, and he cared about you, that he saw you. 
And he cared. I mean, you know, the Bible says, except the Holy Spirit draw you, you ain't coming. And I think once again, I mean, think about how arrogant we are. I found Jesus. Jesus wasn't lost. (laughs) You know, I mean, come on. One day you get connected to God and, and he begins to move in your life. And when you really begin to allow him to do what he wants to do, oh man, he's got some great plans, doesn't he? I mean, he's got some great plans. He's a, he's just an incredible contractor, you know, that just comes in and tears down everything you've built, starts over, does it right, fixes it with a smile, you know, doesn't rub it in too much. And all of a sudden you move from being connected to a, to a commitment that begins to develop in your life. See, a commitment, a, a commitment is, is like walking into a room that you know has no exits, but you willingly enter. That's commitment. That's, that's commitment. It, it, it's, it's hooking up with somebody you know, it, that, that for some reason you fall in love with somebody. Re- remember, remember when, when, when uh, you know, some of you guys can remember uh, when, when you first met your spouse, you know, and, and you weren't married yet. You were in love. Remember? Help me, Jesus. <laughs> Remember? I know you do. Maybe you guys should close your eyes and bow your head for just a moment. Uh, and, and, you, and, you, and you begin to, to realize that, you know what? I mean, can you imagine the, the power of love that can change a person that goes beyond their reason and, and, and be, you know, beyond, it doesn't make sense anymore, you know? I mean, think about it. Shelby, you know, she wasn't crazy. She's just in love. You know, that she would look, that she, she knew me. You know, yeah, some of you go, wow. Man, never thought about it like that. Wow, the power of love. They say, they say love is blind. No, love sees everything. Don't buy into that lie. Love's not blind. Love's just powerful. That you would walk into a room that you know has no exits. Can you imagine 27 years She's had to live with me. Pray for her. Because she's got like 37 more coming, and then maybe more after that. I don't know. We'll decide then. We'll decide then. I'm already in trouble. I'll move on. Okay, so we're whittling down to minutes now. Okay. Uh, But no, no, commitment, man, is totally different than connection. You know, I, I know I probably mentioned this last week too, but, but, you know, courtship versus commitment. Courtship, you're dealing with stuff you never thought of in, you know, before you hooked up, you know. You, courtship, you're, you're, thinking, you're thinking outside the box. You're thinking gifts. You're thinking serving one another. You're, you're thinking being a blessing to each other. And then you get into commitment. Commitment, commitment, and, and all of a sudden, isn't it weird how we, we act like, you want me to do what? No, I, I did it before because I wanted to. Now you're doing it because you got to. Right? Come on. In, in courtship, you know, you, you buy flowers on, on, on Valentine's Day. You bring her chocolates. And in commitment, you take out the garbage and pick up your socks. 
Stuff comes with, with commitment. And I think what happens in church life is, see, what God's doing is we once were isolated, but now we're, we, we get connected. And that connection begins to release a love in us that we've never known. And we, we begin to look differently at the world. And so now we, we step into the realm of commitment. And then shortly after that realm, we find out, I don't like everything that comes with commitment. And we start, we start making statements like, all they want is my money. Don't they know I've got a life? They're always expecting so much. And what's that from? That's just uh, emotional immaturity because we're in commitment now. God actually expects you to participate. We, what, what, we, what we want to do in prayer life is go into a closet somewhere and get quiet before the Lord and tell him what he needs to do. Come on now. Wave that hanky. Hey, man, I want to, I want to tell God what to do, and he's got to do it. But see, really what we need to do is get in that closet, find that quiet place, and ask God how we're supposed to handle the situation that we're in. What do you want me to do? I'm committed. I'm committed. And when you get to that place that you're living outside of yourself, God begins to do his His greatest work, his, his, his greatest, you know, if, if, you could, if you could really embrace the heart of God, you realize that God's heart is to cause you to be made whole. I mean, God's heart is, is to cause you to be complete, to cause you to be healed, restored, refreshed, renewed, revived, re-everythinged. You know, a prefix, God is into prefixes. A prefix is a grammatical stem added to the beginning of a word to change the meaning of that word. And a prefix, God's favorite prefix is re. Think about it. God likes to change stuff. Isaiah 43, probably 18, 19, right in there, says, Remember not the former things, neither consider the things of old, for behold, I shall do a new thing. Behold, I shall do a new thing. Shall you not know it? Now shall it spring forth. God likes to do new stuff. God runs into people and he calls them by a name and, and they say, that's not my name. And he says, it is now. God changes stuff. And, and so he hooks this prefix on it. Re, every, repent, restore, refresh, renew, revive. The prefix re means to bring back to the original state of. So when God renews you, he doesn't actually give you a new thing. He brings that thing back to the original state it was created to be at. You know, the, here, here's, here's the, well, the coolest re-word in the book, repent. You know, we don't, you, you know, you see guys in Vegas with that on a sign, <laughs> repent. Repent is probably one of the coolest words that's ever been offered you. Because repent is two prefixes put together to make one word. Re, bring back to the original state of pent, top, as in pent house, the top one, not, not the magazine, talking about the house. Repent, get back up on top again. What life is doing, what sin has done is it's ripped you out of your position and tried to press you and crush you and get you out of your position. And when you repent, you get back up on top again. You, you, God brings you back to the place you were created to be in dominion, in authority, in control, with the anointing, with the power, you know, infused with an industry. That's what God's heart for you is. 
God's heart is to restore you and, and refresh you and revive you and to make you whole. I mean, you know, I don't have it in the notes, but if you've got your Bible, I hope some of you brought a Bible. Um, otherwise, you just got to trust me. And that's not always smart. Isaiah, I'm thinking, looking. Uh, I want to say 55, maybe. Let's look at it. Yeah. Isaiah 55. It says, uh, are you thirsty? Come, drink the water. If you don't have any money, come, eat whatever you want. Drink wine, milk without paying a cent. Why are you wasting your money on what really isn't food? And why work hard for something that doesn't satisfy? Listen carefully to me and you'll enjoy the very best. Pay close attention. Come to me and live. Come to me and live. I mean, listen, to, listen to the heart of the Father. Why, why are, you, why are you, you know, investing in all this stuff? It's not going to produce what you need. Come to me. Come to me. And later on in the chapter, he says, my thoughts, my ways, they're nothing like yours. My thoughts are higher than yours. My ways are higher than yours. It's not a put down. It's, it's an invitation up. It's a call. To, come on, think like I think. Stop thinking. Look, the way you think is wrong. You, you've been inundated with a process of thought that's destroying your life. And God, my heart, God, you know, God's saying my heart is to restore your life. You know, if you know anything about the word of God, you know God's plan is to prosper you. Have you heard that one? To give you a hope, to give you a future. You know, to give you the ability to, to produce a peaceful habitation. Isaiah 32, 18, my people, they're going to live in a peaceful habitation, a secure dwelling, a quiet resting place. And we look to God like, like he's supposed to produce that. No, he's empowered us to produce that. I, 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 just th I just think it's so cool that God's given you everything you need to win and succeed in every situation in life. And I think it's so crazy that we'll go into a closet and ask him to do it. No, we got to get in the closet and ask him to show us how. Man, my people are going to live in a peaceful habitation. So you have the ability to produce peace. You've got what it takes to, to win, to demonstrate Satan's defeat, to live a lifestyle that's a humiliation to hell. You got it. But you probably won't produce it thinking the way you think. Aren't we kind of a living example of that? You know, that when we do it our way, when we, when we really get what we want, isn't, haven't we learned that when I get what I want, when I want, how I want it, as long as I want it, I'm still not very happy? Come on. Don't look at me with that tone of voice. You and I, we're, we're a lot alike. When everything's going our way, we're still empty. And he says, you know why? It's because you think wrong. You think, you think wrong. Look at your neighbor and say, you think wrong. See, it's easier to say that to others. Yeah. Philippians 4. I might actually get to my notes in a little bit, but this is, this is good here. Philippians 4. 
starting at verse 4. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Well, that don't even make sense. Because there are just days, you know, you know, there are just days that that's unreasonable. Have you seen what's going on? Don't you understand? We've experienced great loss. Don't you see? We, we, we wrecked the car. We lost our job. We're, we, we don't have any money. Uh, uh, you know, the, the spouses run off. The people are saying bad things. Uh, you know, the doctor says, I'm not going to make it. Well, it says rejoice in the Lord. In the Lord. Not, not in your mess. In the Lord. Always. You know what the word always means in the Greek? <laughs> always. And again, I say rejoice. Check it out. Let your unselfishness be known to all men. Because God is very near. Be anxious for nothing. Don't worry about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are noble, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of a good report, if there's any virtue, if there's any praise, just think about these things. Okay, now let me ask you something. Any of you guys ever struggle thinking right? I got to tell you, there have been a few moments in my life when what I was thinking about did not fall into any one of those categories. I mean, if you think about it, this is pretty wide. Just true, noble, just, pure, lovely, good report, worthy of praise. That's a, he, he's, he's making it pretty wide. Anything that fits in there, think that way. And yet we think about stuff that we can't find anywhere to put it in there. Why? Because you think wrong. And if you think wrong, you're going to see wrong. And if you see wrong, you're going to live wrong. And then what he's saying is you got, you got, to, you got to think right. Well, how, do, how could I possibly do this? God wouldn't ask me to do something he hadn't equipped me to succeed at. So how do I do this? Well, you back up to the previous verse. The peace of God, which passes all understanding. You may not understand it. The peace of God goes beyond your ability to understand, but the peace of God will guard your heart. Now, you might be trying to guard your heart, but you can't even think right. No, come on. Stay with me. Right? If we agree we can't think right, then we are the last person we want guarding our heart. If we admitted we have a problem with theft, I just, I can't help but I see it. I got to take it. Well, then you're the last guy we want garden stuff. Right? I mean, you know, maybe later when you've been restored. But not right now. Right? <laughs> You know, so you got a problem thinking, uh, well, then you can't guard your heart. But if you had the peace of God, God's peace, if you had God's peace guarding your heart, you think that could help? 
Sure, I've tried to think right. I, I've tried. But every time I see your face, I remember the last stupid thing you did. But if the peace of God's guarding my heart, now when I see you, that peace is guarding my heart. And I don't think that. I think there is hope. Right? So how do I employ? Oh, man, wouldn't that be awesome? Wouldn't it be awesome if you could employ the peace of God to go to work guarding your heart? If I could employ the peace of God, how do, how, do I get, how do I get the peace of God on the job? Well, go one verse backwards again. Verse 6, don't worry about this stuff. Oh, boy. Don't worry about this stuff. Are you kidding the, bump, the bumper stickers out in the parking lot today. Why pray when you can worry? We love to worry. God says, you know what? You know, look at Matthew 6. Uh, you know, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, his way of doing and being right. I'll take care of all the stuff you worry about. You don't worry about it. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. God said, you know what? Stop worrying. Start praying. Quit, quit talking about it, you know, with, with, with people who can't change it. Talk to me. I can do something. He can do it. How? Prayer, supplication, and thanksgiving. Prayer. What's that? Effective prayer is taking God's word into God's presence, getting to agreement with God on that word. Why do you need the word of God? Why does the enemy want to keep you out of the word of God? Well, one, he doesn't want you to know who you are. Two, he, he doesn't want you to know what you can do. Three, he, he doesn't want you to know what you've got. He wants you to use sense and reason and say, well, you know, I've done pretty good so far. I'm looking pretty good. He loves that. But if you knew what God said, if you could take God's word into God's presence, you know what you can do? You can change worlds. Man, some of the stupid stuff that we focus on, we hyper-focus on dumb stuff. Even, even when we finally get it fixed, three days later, it doesn't even matter. Come on now. Some of you guys, you've spent years of effort, resource, and energy proving you're right about stuff that nobody even cares about. We, you know, it's time wasters and sideshow distractions. But if you would take God's word into God's presence, prayer with supplication, what's that? That's specific request. Oh, so I get to tell God what I want as long as it lines up with what he said. That's why you got to have prayer first. Because, you know, hey, well, we've been, we, we, we've been asking God for $58,000 too. Where's my $58,000? Yeah, but you just wanted to go to Vegas. This guy's in the middle of the plan of God, the will of God. He, he's, he's built a business that's going to glorify God. He, he's employing people so he can tell them about Jesus. You know, so you, you got to line it up with God's will, don't you? So it's with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. Everybody say, with thanksgiving. We'll say it one more time. With thanksgiving. Here's the deal is that most of us, we're not thankful for much. We're not thankful for much. But thanksgiving, believe it or not, is one of the greatest manifestations of faith that exists. If I came up to you today, and I'm not, this is just an illustration, 
But if I came up to you today and said, Nick, I'm buying you a car. He's yes. Thank you. Do you have the car yet? Can you go out in the parking lot and get in it? You, can you prove it? You know, thank you. Thank you is the greatest manifestation of faith. Because what you're saying is, believe you, call it done. See, if I come up to you and say, Todd, I'm going to buy you lunch today. And he says, you don't have to do that. I say, okay. You get, we lose so much because we, we, we're not just, thank you. With thanksgiving. See, if you take God's presence into God's word and you begin to make your specific request, line up with God's word, now you can thank him even before you see it because we don't live by the things which are seen, but we live by the things which are unseen because the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are unseen are eternal. So, God, I just thank you that my house is going to be a peaceful habitation. I thank you, Lord, that you've already given me everything I need to produce peace in my house. And I know right now it looks like chaos, and I, I know that there's a lot of storm going on. But, Father, I just thank you that your promise, your word in my life is going to swallow up the storm. I thank you, Father, right down the road. And see, now your prayer supplication with thanksgiving. And as you're agreeing with God on God's word and applying it to your life, the peace of God, which passes your understanding, comes on the job, and he begins to guard your heart. Why? So you can think right. And when you begin to think right, he can then begin to move in your life and get you outside of you so that he can make you whole. God's trying to get you outside of you, not to take stuff from you, but to make room for what he's about to bring you. You know, but we think wrong. We have situations in life and we see it wrong. And we come up with all kinds of excuses why we're not listening to God. We talk about problems and talk about issues and, and talk about storms and we blog it and Facebook it and, and, and text it and, and cell phone it and publish it and we do everything we get and we find people who will agree with us. Hello? You know where they are and you know who they are. The ones that when you don't get what you want, think you should have. They're your friends. Proverbs 17, I think it's Proverbs 17 in the, in, in, the S, in the CEV, it says, listen to troublemakers. You become a troublemaker. You do realize that not everything a troublemaker says is wrong. Hello? Yeah, I said you do realize that not everything a troublemaker says is wrong. He might actually have some great insight. See, it's not what you hear that is the most important thing. It's who you hear it from. <laughs> Testing. It's not just what you hear. I think even more important is who you hear it from. Because what you hear can be taught, but who you're with will be caught. You're going to come like them. You find people that say what you like to say and what you like to listen to. That's one thing. But you better look at where they're headed. 
You better know who they are, man. You, you, you better not just find people that it's comfortable to be with, especially if you are comfortable in chaos. See, the deal is, is that we come up with excuses and they're killing us. They're, killing, they're, they're robbing you of your potential, of your future. They're robbing you of your victory. And you've got an excuse. You don't need an excuse. Look at your neighbor and tell them, you don't need any more excuses. Listen, let, let me give you the definition of an excuse. It is an explanation offered as a reason. An explanation offered as a, a, an excuse is the skin of a reason stuffed with a lie. An inferior or inadequate specimen of something specified. An inferior or inadequate specimen of something specified. You're more than a conqueror, but you come up with an excuse for your defeat. So you're an inferior specimen of what was specified. You have strength for all things, but you came up with an excuse to let remain what you could have gotten rid of because you're an inferior specimen. See, you've been robbed from. Excuses are the nails we use to build the house of failure. Excuses aren't helping you. They're not justifying you. They're killing you. You know, there's a story in the Bible, and and, uh, we'll we'll look at it for a minute. Look at Exodus 3. This is just kind of a cool story. You know, you got Moses, and he's out in the desert, you know, tending somebody else's sheep. And uh, he led the flock to the back of the desert, you know the backstory. Remember Moses when he was just a baby? They they, they put him in that in that little flotation device and ship him off down the river, and he ends up in the bulrushes, and he and, he, and he's picked up by the by the you know by royal family, and, and they raise him and train him, and, and, and man, life is good. This guy's got it made. Yeah, he he knows he's different from everybody else. You know, he, he realizes it, and he, he begins to create a dream and build a vision of the future, and, and he's going to get his people free, man. And look at God's put me in this place. My enemy is feeding me and training me and equipping me. He, he developed this, this awesome picture in his mind. And then one day, he, he couldn't wait on God anymore. He got in a hurry. So he kills one of them. And now he's got to run for his life. And so he ends up for the next 40 years on the backside of a desert, allowing the dream that he, his first 40 years developed to be destroyed. Okay? Which brings us to today. Moses is tending the flock, and he led the flock to the back of the desert, and he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. <laughs> I, I think it's crazy. God shows up in the midst of a bush. A bush. Sagebrush, baby. And he looked and beheld the bush was burning with fire, but not consumed. That's cool. 
And Moses makes one of the strangest statements in the entire Bible. He said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight. Are you kidding me? Do you really think that's what he said? I will now turn aside and see this great sight. The reason it's got his eye is not because it's a bush. Because I, I bet you he's passed this bush thousands of times. And it's not that the bush is on fire because everybody knows that when you get it hot enough, a sagebrush is going to go. Right? Don't we know that? If you don't know that, hang out a little while. That means you're just new to town. It's not even that it's on fire. It's so hot in that desert that they just, they go. But as he's coming down the road, he sees that thing going, and it keeps going. And that's what grabs his attention. And I think I've been so infatuated with that statement, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, that I haven't ever really noticed verse 4. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him. If you underline in your Bible, you should underline that verse. And if you don't underline in your Bible, you should grab your neighbor's Bible and do it in theirs. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him. And let's just read this for a minute. Uh, And he calls out Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. Look at verse 5. And he said, Don't get too close yet. Don't draw near to this place. Take off your shoes. For the place where you're standing is holy. I want to, real quick, I want to give you three lessons from a burning bush. Okay? Three lessons from a burning bush. Number one, God uses ordinary stuff. I mean, it would be really cool if the angels would do the river dance out in the driveway in front of your house in the morning so that you knew you'd heard from God. But really, that very seldom happens. And for that, we are thankful. You know, it's just ordinary things. There's ordinary situations going on in your life that, that, that God's in. It's crazy how, how much God's doing and how little we see it. You know, we're we're complaining about this and about that and about the other thing. And, you know, come on, guys. You know as well as I do that there have been times in life that you were just a a mess. And you made it through there. You look back and you realize God was working the whole time. You know, like David said, "I, I, I look in front of me and you're out there. I look behind me and you're back there too. You know, what he's saying is, you know, I see you in my future well, sometimes you've got to look back and say, I saw him. I can see how you worked all that out in my past. You know, God's doing stuff that you just don't recognize, that you don't see. Why? Because you think wrong. See, when you think wrong, you see wrong. And when you see wrong, you live wrong. But if you don't see it, you can't live it. Why, why, why would the enemy want you to think wrong? So you can't see it. My father, 
man, I got to hurry. My, my, my father, you know, is home dying with cancer and God heals him and God changing him and he's doing all this work. And we had, we had a small apple orchard and he was out there and, and here's the guy that was supposed to be dead. And he's, he's picking boxes of apples and running up and down the highways, do, you know, giving apples to people. And two, two miles down the road, there was a house and, and he pulled off the highway and, and up to that house and he knocked on the door and the man opened the door and saw my father standing there with a box of a- apples and the man began to cry. And he said, uh, well, you know, you okay? And he said, well, yeah. He said, you don't understand, for, you know, the whole time, ever since, the, ever since I heard the news that you had been sent home to die, he said, I felt like I was supposed to come to your house and do something. He said, but I didn't know what to say to a preacher who's dying with cancer. And now here you are bringing me apples. I should have been at your house picking them. I should have been down there doing something for you, but here you are. What, what can I do for you? What can I do for you? And my dad looked at him and said, well, I found out that when I teach, I get stronger. And this cancer, I'm healed. And, and, and I've got a Bible study in my house. If you wouldn't mind coming, it just really help me. Give me some fresh face and draw that on that face. And, and it will be there. So they showed up at my dad's Bible study, and, and, and they thought it's pretty cool. So a week or two later, they came back, and they, and they brought their daughter. Yeah. Yeah, I look behind me and I realize that God's working. Hello? Wasn't about apples. It was about bees. (laughs) Sorry. If you don't think right, (laughs) you won't see right. If you don't see it right, you ain't going to get to live it. Mm. Selah. God uses ordinary things. Ordinary things. He's using a sagebrush. I know you're on the highway of life and you want a neon flashing sign. God uses sagebrush. Ordinary things. But if you don't see it correctly, you, you, you miss it. See, some of you, you right now, you should be, you know, involved in a different level in, in ministry at the church. Shouldn't just be taken, should be given. Should you be coming and, 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 you know, taking notes all the time. No, you should be serving somewhere and you're not. Why? Because you think wrong. You think wrong, so you see it wrong. And because you see it wrong, you end up living it wrong. And because of that, you miss out on what God has for you. See, God's plan is to make you whole, but because you think wrong. See, you, you don't, you, well, I, okay, I'll serve. When can I preach? Come on, man. How many years of ministry have you done? A hundred and what? hundred and three. hundred and three years of ministry, and, and, he, and he knows I'm telling the truth. Well, I, I wanted to be in ministry. I, I didn't want to vacuum. It's because you see it wrong. Why do you see it wrong? Because you're thinking wrong. That's why God said, look, man, you, you go to the wrong place. Come to me and, and, and come to me and get what will really satisfy you. God uses ordinary things. God would love to use you. Serving in the children's ministry. Church our size, we shouldn't be having issues finding volunteers in anywhere. 
If our heart was right, if we thought right, we'd see it right. We'd see it right. We'd live it right. We'd be, we, we wouldn't be putting a sign out there and, you know, and finding out, okay, how much can we do during ShareFest? Because we, we, you know, no, we'd have the whole church saying, okay, we're in. Why? Because we're thinking right. God uses ordinary things. ShareFest, that one day is an opportunity to shape the future of this entire community. So of course I'm in. But we don't really think right. We're looking for something special. You know. God uses ordinary things. Number two. I'll get off that because you guys are starting to look nervous. Uh, Number two. Number two. God needs your full attention. God needs your full attention. I said God needs your full attention. If it's going to be good for you, you you better quit complaining about where you are and you better stop and turn towards God. God wants to change you. God's desire is is to bring wholeness to you, but he can't do it with a half-hearted seeker of God. Well, I'm just really not that serious about spiritual things. Your enemy is. And until you get serious, then it's just not going to work. You know, how could you grow up in a, in, a, in a preacher's home and be in church your whole life and come out and not know God? Well, because it was just a game. We were just hanging around. We weren't even connected. We were just there. You see, God needs your full attention. When God, when the Lord saw he turned, he began to speak. When God has your attention, he'll start talking to you. When you quit whining about your problem and stop and, and, and give God your attention, he'll tell you how to fix it. You, 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 you got to quit, man. Man, you, you know, whatever it is in your life, that it, it, it's the burning bush of your life, you know. It, 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 haven't you had enough chaos? See, the thing that finally got Moe's attention was that it kept going. He's coming through the desert. There's a sagebrush on fire. As he approaches it, it's still on fire. The bush is still there. I bet you money he passed it and looked back. And went, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. Will it never end? Come on, how many times have you said that? When's this thing, when's this thing going to get off my body? I thought God was, God was a healer. When's this thing coming off my body? Maybe, maybe you haven't given God your full attention yet. I mean, really? How, how long are the kids going to talk back? Till they're 32. When are you going to give God your full attention? When, when, when are you going to give God your full attention? Number three, when you realize that God is going to work through ordinary things and you realize that God needs your full attention, God will take the ordinary piece of ground and cause that place to become holy. The word holy, take off your shoes. The place you're standing is holy. The word holy, it just means other than. 
God's a holy God. Right. He's other than any other thing, any other God, any other being. He's different. God causes that piece of property to become a holy place. The word place, position of effectual opportunity. Right now, there's no hope, there's, there's no future, there's no potential. But when God has your full attention, you'll be in a position of effectual opportunity. Other than any other piece of ground you've ever stood on before. Take off your shoes. What does that mean? Hang out. It really isn't telling him your shoes are dirty. I don't want them in here. We just got new carpet. He's telling you. Think about it. Do you know how long it takes to put on those sandals? They're not slip-ons. Okay, this is some effort. Take them off. Why? Because we're going to hang for a while. We're just going to hang out for a while. Got your attention. Turn the TV off. Turn talk radio off. Leave the mail and the bills and the paper out in the box. Shut it down and spend some time with me. You've taken 40, 50 years to develop this mess. I'm going to need more than four minutes to fix you. I, I want to take an ordinary piece of property and, and turn it into a position of effectual opportunity unlike anything you've ever seen before. Now, I'm not shocked that your marriage is swirling around the toilet bowl of life. I, I understand. I see who's involved in it. But if you'll stop and give me your attention and, and, and relax and listen to it and let me speak to you, I can make this thing life-changing, not just for you, but for people around the world. I can do what nobody else can do, but you got to give me your attention. You got to let me speak to you. You got to quit coming up with excuses. We see a burning bush, and we tell everybody why it's on fire. It's because I'm married to an idiot, it's because I work for the devil. It's because the economy is out of control. It, it, it's a recession. And we come up with excuses. And we rob ourselves of the potential to cause ordinary things to become positions of effectual opportunity. We t- you know what God's doing in the church? It's amazing what God's doing. Not, not just here. In churches all, all around the world, all around the city. But if we don't give God our full attention, We'll just be another excuse for why revival didn't happen. We'll just be another excuse for why Tri-Cities is still under the oppression of Satan, a defeated foe. Just an excuse. He's a poor excuse for a man. That's a poor excuse for a body. Got to stop. I'm going to tell you, I'm, I'm not finished, but I'm done. I'm going to tell you something, that when you, when you stop, people who love you won't like you for a while. People who are used to having your attention don't like it when you give it to God. They're, they're nice people. They're loving people. They're great people, but they're not, they're, they're, they're they're not going to break out pom-poms and go... <laughs> But when God begins to speak, 
and the excuses begin to melt and his presence begins to overwhelm you and you can see the ground changing. You realize that the eyes of your understanding are being enlightened, that you might see the hope of your calling. You're beginning to see things that have always been there, but you've never been able to see them before. You realize the last thing I'm going to do is rush this moment. I'm just going to hang in his presence. Take my shoes off. The best thing you could do, listen, if you're, if you're not connected to God, don't live isolated. He who willfully isolates himself from God or man seeks his own, own desire and is void of sound judgment. In other words, you're living like an idiot. Don't live separated from God. And if you've just recently got connected to God, wait till you see what love can do in you. And it's going to pull you into a place of commitment. And as that commitment begins to grow, don't begin to do what most people do. Don't start making excuses. Realize that excuses are the strategy of hell to keep you from wholeness. So get rid of the excuses and take your shoes off and hang out in the presence of God. What if you miss a day's work? God can do in an answer to one prayer. I don't think many of us make 58 grand a day. Our God is able to do exceeding abundantly above and beyond anything that you could ask or think. My Lord. If he wants your day, give him your day. You might, well, I probably shouldn't say that. I'd probably... Let me pray about it. Okay, I'll say it. What would happen if you gave up Disney World for the presence of God? I'm just, I'm just asking questions. I don't even know why. I tell you, sometimes I think stuff and it just comes out. And, you know, and if you're going to Disney World next week, don't be mad at me. I'm not talking to you. I'm talking about you. No, I, I'm just... Uh, I just uh, <laughs> that was good, wasn't it? Uh, but, I mean, what if? What if God wanted something from you? I'm... What if he wanted something from you? Why would God want something from you? So he could get more to you. And if you don't think right, you won't see it right. If you don't see it right, you ain't going to live it, right? So wherever you are, realize God wants to talk to you. Amen? Close your book, bow your head, let me pray for you.